Welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast, sponsored by Munters, experts in climate control systems for safe, high-quality battery cell production and R&D, delivering stable, low dew point conditions whilst minimising energy use. Episode 8, Understanding Climate Control in Battery Manufacturing. In the last episode, we talked about the science of cooling, the criticality of cooling within the battery system itself at a cell level, at a pack level, and the thermal stability of those battery systems. It was a fascinating discussion. But I wanted to take this one step further in this episode and talk about the science of environmental control in the manufacturing process. So at a factory level, how, given the well-known thermal demands of batteries, you control the atmosphere within a factory setting that enables battery production to take place both safely, but at the same time, maximizing productivity and quality of the batteries that are being produced. Because the presence of moisture as humidity creates a major problem for lithium battery manufacturers because lithium reacts strongly with any moisture in the atmosphere, forming lithium hydroxide and highly flammable hydrogen. And who better to talk about that subject than Munters, one of the global leaders in industrial dehumidification. And I was joined by Jason Bettles, their business development manager in the UK and an expert in low dew point battery applications. Well, I am very pleased to be joined by Jason Beckles. Jason is the business development manager of Munters, who uh, are a sponsor of the podcast, so I'm grateful for that. But they're also the global specialist in climate control within industrial manufacturing. So welcome, Jason. Nice to see you again. Thanks, Ken. Great to see you. It's a pleasure to be here to talk to you. I want to start by kind of understanding some of the basic principles temperature humidity and dew point and those kind of terms which i know are critical in understanding environmental control so it might be a good idea to get our arms around that so um i'm pretty familiar with temperature and we kind of live with that every day but the Mm -hmm. other things of humidity and dew point i just want to understand a little bit more about them and how we measure them and why they're critical Okay, so that's a a great question, Ken. Uh, So why is the climate so critical? Well, lithium and other materials used in cell production are highly reactive to moisture, even in what we might class as a typical room condition, such as we're sitting in right now. And in the presence of that moisture, uh, that, that can result in a fire and the release of some very dangerous fumes and gases. So as well as operational safety being a key factor, um, controlling the moisture content is also important in the quality and the performance of the finished battery cell and helping to maintain a high production yield. Right. So from a battery manufacturing perspective, this all hinges on the fact that lithium is hugely reactive to any kind of moisture and and will react to moisture at levels that we don't think are moist. So, Correct. So, um, so how do we measure that moisture, and how do we control it to a level that lithium won't react to it in the ways you described? Okay. So, historically, typically, the benchmark for 
preventing uh, adverse reactions would have been minus 40 degrees C dew point. Uh, in terms of relative humidity, uh, that's something less than half a percent humidity typically. So, but what is dew point? So dew points is the temperature to which air must be cooled to become saturated with water vapor. So when air is cooled below its dew point, sometimes referred to as 100% RH or 100% saturation, its moisture cap holding capacity is reduced and water vapor therefore condenses out. So that's, that's just a, a means by which uh, clients, scientists, cell manufacturers have used to set a benchmark against which we determine the dryness that's required. So typically minus 40 dew point, um, but of course the dew point's independent of temperature. Relative humidity is, of course, relative to the temperature. So if we took a room at 20 degrees C and minus 40 dew point, the relative humidity would be different to 30 degrees C and minus 40 dew point. But ultimately, it's the moisture content that's critical. And indeed, some, some of our clients often refer to parts per million as well. Right. Uh, but ultimately, it's that threshold uh, uh, dew point of minus 40 or less that is typically used as a reference point. Re relative humidity is relative to the temperature. So if the temperature changes, but the moisture content stays the same, the relative humidity will change. So for example, yeah. right now, if the room temperature was 20 degrees C, 50% RH, your dew point would be nine degrees C and your moisture mm -hmm. content would be, say, seven grams of water. If we then increase the temperature to, say, 30 degrees C, mm -hmm. but we didn't change the moisture content, the dew point would be the same, mm -hmm. but the relative humidity would go down because mm -hmm. the humidity is relative to the temperature. And as you raise the temperature for a given moisture mm -hmm. content, the mm -hmm. humidity goes down, but the dew point doesn't change. The dew point only changes as the moisture content changes. I got that. And that's a brilliant explanation. So for battery manufacturers, it's critical because uh, if they lose control of these key humidity measures, they are, firstly, productivity is going to be affected quality is going to be affected presumably of of the of the products they're producing but also of course we've got this major concern with batteries of any nature of 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 temperature and of thermal runaway and things like that which can be catastrophic to yeah. the system so so have i got that right that's what that's why it's so critical for battery manufacturers to get a, a very tight grip on this Absolutely. Operational safety first and foremost, and then, of course, the quality and performance of the finished product as well. Right. So, so if that's the need in terms of the, the battery manufacturers, how does it work? If you're dealing with a big factory, there's a lot of moisture when we're talking about trying to get it down to these very, very low levels of, of humidity that you know, we don't perceive, but there must be huge amounts of water being held in the environment that you need to get out somehow. 
So I'm, I'm interested in how the mechanics of that works. That's right. So typically at our normal room condition now, uh, the moisture content that we're experiencing needs to be reduced by a hundredth to make it safe and suitable for battery cell production. You've got to take it from essentially to 1% of what it is currently that we're experiencing now. One or less, yes, yeah. What a... What I really want to get to here is the is the mechanics of how these systems work. So so talk me through the chemistry of that. Talk me through the mechanics of how that actually how that job gets done. Certainly. So the dehumidification process is done with desiccants, uh, typically a form of high performance silica gel. If you could visualize a disc that's maybe for argument's sake, a meter diameter and 400 millimeters deep. That disc would have a honeycomb structure. So it's a very large surface area, but with a very low yeah. mass. And that disc is impregnated with a form of high performance silica gel. What we then do is we have two airstreams that run in contraflow arrangement through that disc through approximately 90 degrees is one airstream and then the other 270 is the other airstream. The larger airstream is the humid air that we wish to dry. And as that passes through the desiccant wheel, we have an adsorption process that traps water vapor at the surface of the desiccant. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now that wheel um, then rotates very slowly, typically say 10 revolutions an hour between the drying airstream and the other airstream, which are completely separate airstreams. So there are internal mm -hmm. baffles to separate them. And we bring in a small amount of fresh air uh, that's then heated. And then that warm air is blown over what we call the reactivation sector because we're basically reactivating the silica gel. And that reverses the dehumidification process and dries out the wheel. So the wheel continually rotates. It can do this 24-7, 365 days a year, and it will provide continuous dry air. And the whole process in the first instance is driven by that reactivation heater. So the this wheel has got this silica gel. Or a huge surface area, which is the, the key to it, because you want to maximise its contact with the with with Correct. the wet air, if if you, if you like, and that is absorbed by the gel. the The water is absorbed by the gel, and and that, if you like, takes the moisture out of the out of the air. Correct. But then that gel becomes presumably, which is a level of absorption of that water, and that water needs to be taken out of the gel. Correct. Because that gel needs to dry again to do that job consistently and continuously. And that's where the fresh air comes in. Correct. And we warm that up to reverse that dehumidification process. Right. Which means that the gel is not used once. It's used continually. Correct. Because it's being denuded, if you like, of its water by the fresh air, which is warmed up to do that job. Correct. I understand it, Jason. <laughs> what potential what are the potential things that can go wrong in that system then in terms of what are the things that 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 you know make that system sometimes you know creak at the edges you know are there, are there any particular uh, issues that you face with that working so that that's a that's a good question and uh 
the the systems historically i'm pleased to say have proved to be very reliable because the rotational speed of the desiccant wheel is quite slow uh, they're very robust and very reliable so provided you've got a continuous supply of the appropriate energy source to drive the reactivation process uh, their actual failure rate is very, very low. They're very reliable systems and uh, experience has proven that. I guess there's a bit of a trade-off though. And what I mean by that is I would imagine that battery manufacturers want, want to eradicate water. I mean, in, a, in an ideal world, completely eradicate it. Uh, but I guess the closer you get to eradication, you know, the more energy it requires in that system to deliver that. And I suppose there must be a point by which it becomes, this is the economic level to operate at. Have I, uh, do I understand that correctly? You do, and it, it's a great question, and it's, it's a topic that we spend a great deal of our time on when we engage with clients to help come up with solutions and options. So there are three key sources of moisture in, in any dry room. Uh, one of those will be the occupants. One of those will be uh, some infiltration through the building fabric. And another one will be the fresh air that you need to compensate for any losses through dust and fume extract ventilation that may be present in some of the production processes. And what's interesting is with your occupants, uh, the moisture load emitted by one person on average in an hour will be around about 125 millilitres of water. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but when you're looking to maintain the dry room at, say, minus 40 degrees dew point, that is a tremendous amount of water. So the amount of air that you would need to, sorry, the amount of dry air that you would need to remove that water vapour from one person uh, maybe, say, 1,800 metres cubed per hour of air, just to take an arbitrary figure. But if you then drop the dew point to, say, minus 50, that airflow requirement would increase fourfold. And then if you dropped it to a room requirement of, say, minus 60, you would increase it by fourfold again. So from the original minus 40 to minus 60, you've got a cumulative 14-fold increase approximately. So the amount of dry air that you have to circulate increases significantly uh, as you lower the dew point. And of course, the capital cost and the operating cost of that equipment increases significantly accordingly. Yeah, that makes sense. So hence, minus 40 degree centigrade dew point is, is around the level where there can be sufficient control of the environment for this to be safe and the quality, if you like, of the production to be maintained. That minus 40 degree centigrade, is that the, that's the kind of Goldilocks zone of this then, is it? it historically, that's the, the typical starting point. But what you'll find uh, in recent years, there have been lots of new chemistries being developed. And uh, as those chemistries change and evolve, their sensitivity to the level of moisture or the dew point uh, changes. And what we've seen in recent years is more interest in lower dew points 
to cater for more moisture sensitive chemistries. So is that the direction of travel? In fact, the industry is, because of the new chemistry which is being developed, are pushing more and more for lower and lower dew points. I think it's fair to say there has been a, a, a slight downward trend in demand for the for the dew points. But of course, mm. as you mentioned earlier, Ken, that comes at a cost, both capital and on the OPEX. And of course, mm. trying to find that sweet spot with the new chemistries so that we effectively don't over-design and over-specify is quite important. Now, I guess the other thing, and you met, we, we touched on it uh a little earlier is, is the kind of human factor and the fact that humans are contributing a, you know a lot of the moisture which is then having to be extracted within this system but does it have any effect on the human but the other way around in the sense of when you're operating if i was operating now if we were in this conversation and we were operating at minus 40 uh, degrees c dew point would would we notice that and in fact if um, would that does that affect human performance when we're operating these very very low levels of relative humidity that's another great question ken and, and one that we often get asked and um, we've done a little bit of research on this and, and spoken to clients and as far as we're aware there are no official health and safety guidelines as such for dry rooms but that said in our experience and speaking to people we understand that staff would typically work for around about two hours maybe before taking a break at which point uh, they'd be encouraged to drink say 250 300 milliliters of water uh, 15 to 20 minute break um, and in some cases uh, even moisturizer is provided because working in dry rooms is actually quite a personal experience some people are more sensitive to the dry conditions than others and some people mm. can find they get uh, dry itchy skin quite quickly so the moisturizer can help combat that another thing to consider are things like soft contact lenses they can actually dry out and become quite uncomfortable quite quickly and we also believe that pregnant staff are often recommended to take advice from their doctor before working in dry rooms it sounds like the way people are managing that is to control the exposure Yes, absolutely. I think yeah, I think most people, their experience of working in a dry room is, is actually quite a pleasant dry room environment up to a point. I know I've had experience because uh, I used to do some work in uh, class 100, the pharmaceutical kind of environments, and they can be, they're similar because all climate controls, they're actually not unpleasant places to spend some time in, actually quite refreshing places to spend time in. Exactly, yes. It might be worth me understanding a little bit more about munters because i know you guys have been at the forefront of this technology for a long time uh so it might be worth it just understanding the scale of your business the kind of work you're involved with and kind of industries you're involved with uh and so you know, tell us a little bit more about that jason that's another good question thanks ken so yes yeah, so munters uh, is a swedish company uh we're a global operator with around about 18 factories worldwide. And I'm pleased to say we've seen massive growth in the last few years in the battery sector, so much so that we've now developed our own battery center of excellence in EMEA to help us support our clients. We get involved in projects very small at the R&D end of the spectrum all the way through to the Giga factory end of the spectrum. And our colleagues in the Centre of Excellence are there to help us and our customers support those projects, learn and develop best practice 
both internally and to develop uh, information, experience and applications know-how that we can share with our clients. We design and manufacture our own desiccant rotors and uh, I've been working certainly in the UK on battery applications for around about 40 years now. So we've been able to build up a wealth of applications know-how to help our clients. And presumably you're doing this on a global footprint because, of course, the battery industry is a global industry. So you'll be supporting this industry wherever it might be in the world. Very much so. Uh, The growth is global for us. And in response to that, we've opened a new factory in the Czech Republic to support the EMEA production. And we're currently building a new factory in America, too. If we were going to be having this conversation in four or five years time and talking about the developments which have taken place technically within this space again, because, you know, it's growing fast and there's a lot of new chemistry. There's a lot of new things happening within it. What do you see as the kind of challenges going forward technically that, uh, that a company like Munters is going to have to be thinking about? That's a really good question. So I think that one of the key challenges for us and the customers that we serve is to try and deliver the performance that's required, particularly if the trend continues downward with the dew points that are required to do that in the most energy efficient way possible. Um, And and up to this point, our R&D have come up with some great uh, innovations for heat recovery systems and different rotor chemistries that deliver high performance for the lowest possible energy cost. And I think that trend will need to continue. But I think also we need to look at things as holistically as possible as well. So not just from the perspective of the dehumidifier, but how it integrates into the wider HVAC system, if you will, and opportunities to harness waste energy for heat recovery uh, and to employ that in the most efficient way possible. Uh, you know, not just to reduce the the capital and the running costs for the for the client, but also with a view to sustainability as well. So I think uh, we'll hopefully be seeing some new products or new product features. You know, heat recovery systems and rotor chemistries that will enable us to do that. Fascinating. And one final thing on that is obviously you're you're using silica gel as the the main constituent in terms of the absorbent. Are there alternatives, or or is 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 that the established chemistry really for being the most efficient at actually taking water out of an out of an atmosphere? I think in terms of energy at this moment in time, it is. Uh, but I've no doubts that there'll be different chemistries. So there are absorbents, there are absorbents, uh, there are molecular sieves. So I think we'll see some interesting developments in, in the fullness of time in that area. Well, that sounds like a great place to leave it. It's, it's, it's one of these kind of issues that everybody in the battery world kind of is aware of, but it's good to get under the skin of it in terms of how these systems work. And particularly, I guess, the criticality of the of the the need for control. It's been great to talk that through because you're the expert on these things. It's been fascinating uh, to talk it all through again, Jason. Thank you very much, Ken. That was a pleasure.
The Battery Technology Podcast is a copyrighted GSE Media Limited production. For more details on how to reach us, you'll find our contact details in the show notes or at our website, www.batterytechnologypodcast.com. Thank you.